This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of pyogenic flexor tenosynovitis from the hand section on orthobullets.com. Pyogenic flexor tenosynovitis is an infection of the synovial sheath that surrounds the flexor tendon. As far as the epidemiology, pyogenic flexor tenosynovitis has an incidence of 2.5 to 9.4% of all hand infections. Risk factors include diabetes, IV drug use, and immunocompromised patients. With respect to pathophysiology, the mechanism of pyogenic flexor tenosynovitis usually involves a penetrating trauma to the tendon sheath. You can also have direct spread from a felon, septic joint, and or a deep space infection. As far as the pathoanatomy, the infection travels in the synovial sheath that surrounds the flexor tendon. As far as the relevant microbiology for pyogenic flexor tenosynovitis, Staph aureus is the most common and encompasses 40 to 75% of cases. MRSA makes up 29% of these cases and are typically seen in intravenous drug abusers. Other common skin flora that can cause pyogenic flexor tenosynovitis include staph epidermidis, beta-hemolytic streptococcus, and pseudomonas aeruginosa. You can see mixed flora and gram-negative organisms in immunocompromised patients, Eichenella in human bites, and Pasteurella multicida in animal bites. An associated condition to consider is the horseshoe abscess, which may develop from spread of the pyogenic flexor tenosynovitis. This abscess develops as many individuals have a connection between the sheaths of the thumb and the little fingers at the level of the wrist. Infection in one finger can lead to direct infection of the sheath on the opposite side of the hand, resulting in a quote-unquote horseshoe abscess. Now let's talk about some relevant anatomy. Tendon sheaths function to protect and nourish the tendons. With respect to the anatomy of tendon sheaths, variations are common, and the sheaths extend from the index, middle, and ring fingers, the thumb, specifically the flexor pollicis longus sheath, and the little finger. Sheaths that extend from the index, middle, and ring fingers are from the DIP to just proximal to the A1 pulley. Sheaths that extend from the thumb, specifically the flexor pollicis longus sheath, is from the IP joint to as proximal as the radial bursa in the wrist. Sheaths that extend from the little finger are from the DIP joint to as proximal as the ulnar bursa in the wrist. As far as the presentation of pyogenic flexor tenosynovitis, patients typically have pain and swelling, and this is typically present in a delayed fashion, specifically over the last 24 to 48 hours. These symptoms are usually localized to the palmar aspect of one digit. On physical exam, you should look for the canaval signs, and there are four total. This includes flexed posturing of the involved digit, tenderness to palpation over the tendon sheath, marked pain with passive extension of the digit, and fusiform swelling of the digit. So again, the four canaval signs include flexed posturing of the involved digit, tenderness to palpation over the tendon sheath, marked pain with passive extension of the digit, and fusiform swelling of the digit. On physical exam, you may also notice increased warmth and erythema of the involved joint. As far as imaging, radiographs are usually not required, but may be useful to rule out a foreign object. An MRI cannot distinguish infectious flexor tenosynovitis from inflammatory, but may help determine the extent of the ongoing process. Treatment of pyogenic flexor tenosynovitis can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative is rare, but involves hospital admission, IV antibiotics, hand immobilization, and observation. This is indicated when there's early presentation. Modalities will involve splinting, 
And as far as outcomes, if there are signs of improvement within 24 hours, no surgery is required. Operative options, which are more common, involve IND followed by culture-specific IV antibiotics. As far as indications, there should be a low threshold to operate once suspected. This is typically considered an orthopedic emergency. Other indications for IND followed by culture-specific IV antibiotics include late presentation and no improvement after 24 hours of non-operative treatment with a confirmed diagnosis. As far as the technique for an IND of a flexor tendon, the approach will involve a full open exposure using a long mid-axial or Brunner incision. Two small incisions can be placed distally at the A5 pulley and proximally at the A1 pulley and using an angiocatheter for IND. Complications to keep in mind include stiffness, tendon or pulley rupture, spread of the infection, loss of tissue, and osteomyelitis. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, when evaluating a patient with suspected purulent flexor tenosynovitis in the thumb, the distal forearm and little finger are found to be swollen as well. The most likely anatomic explanation is the existence of a potential space in which of the following, and the choices are one, through the carpal tunnel, two, across the mid-palmar space, three, communicating with the subcutaneous tissue, four, superficial to the distal antibrachial fascia, and five, between the fascia of the pronator quadratus and flexor digitorum profundus conjoined tendon sheaths. The correct answer to this question is five, between the fascia of the pronator quadratus and flexor digitorum profundus conjoined tendon sheaths. So pyogenic flexor tenosynovitis is an infection within the flexor tendon sheath that can involve the fingers or the thumb. The tendon sheaths begin at the metacarpal neck level and extend to the distal interphalangeal joint. In the little finger and the thumb, the sheaths usually communicate with the ulnar and radial bursa, respectively. The potential space for communication, perona space, lies between the fascia of the pronator quadratus muscle and flexor digitorum profundus conjoined tendon sheaths. Infection tracking through this space presents as a horseshoe abscess. Moving on to the next question. A 37-year-old patient with type 1 diabetes mellitus has a flexor tenosynovitis of the thumb flexor tendon sheath following a kitchen knife puncture wound to the volar aspect of the thumb. Left unattended, this infection will likely first spread proximally, creating an abscess in which of the following spaces of the palm. And the choices are 1. Central space, 2. Hypothenar space, 3. Carpal tunnel, 4. Posterior adductor space, and 5. Thenar space. The correct answer to this question is 5, thenar space. So flexor tenosynovitis of the thumb flexor tendon sheath can spread proximally and form an abscess within the thenar space of the palm. The flexor pollicis longus tendon does not pass through the central space of the palm or the hypothenar space of the palm. The flexor pollicis longus tendon does pass through the carpal tunnel, but this is not a palmar space. The three palmar spaces include the hypothenar space, the thenar space, and the central space. The posterior adductor space would likely only be involved secondarily after spread from a thenar space infection. And moving on to the final question, all of the following are considered the cardinal signs of flexor tenosynovitis except, and the choices are 1. Tenderness along the flexor tendon sheath, 2. Flexed resting posture of the finger, 3. Fusiform swelling of the finger, 4. Pain on passive extension of the finger, 
and five, pain on passive flexion of the finger. The correct answer to this question is five, pain on passive flexion of the finger. So the cardinal signs of pyogenic flexor tenosynovitis or canaval signs include one, partially flexed resting posture of the involved finger, two, pain with passive extension, three, fusiform swelling of the finger, and four, volar tenderness along the flexor sheath. So patients commonly present 24 to 48 hours after onset of symptoms. The standard of care is urgent surgical drainage to avoid tendon scarring or necrosis with subsequent impairment of finger function followed by intravenous antibiotic administration. According to the Hand Surgery Update 3, open sheath irrigation has been replaced largely by closed sheath irrigation. These authors cite a retrospective study that showed no statistical difference in resolution of infection using open sheath irrigation or closed sheath irrigation. However, there was a trend towards more frequent complications and reoperations in the open drainage group. Lyle et al. reviewed the records of 75 patients with pyogenic flexor tenosynovitis and found that there was no difference in outcomes between those who received intraoperative irrigation only versus those receiving intraoperative irrigation and continuous postoperative irrigation. That's all for this review about pyogenic flexor tenosynovitis. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.